0: Please don't judge me. I'm really trying my best. Elo Lama Sebati. Niloy Lama Sebakatani. Eloy Lama. Sabakatami. Hadadraman. Hadramin. Hadritomon. Afarcepitis. Afar sapitis. Aphra sapphachitis. Alzar techniques? Techniques? What is the word? What is the word? Tigla Thurfusner. Tadpilneser. Tilga Thubpilsner. Uh, Zelophahad. Zelo. Fahidad. <laughs> Sophahid. Zerubabel. 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 Zaboop. Zababalid. Zababalid. That's not it. Prognostic prog- procrastinators. We're in a series. Uh, we're in a series called Big Words. And here's what you need to know. We're calling it Big Words not because the words are long. Matter of fact, a bunch of the words that you and I are going to do together are actually fairly short in length. They're big words because they're big words in meaning. And they're big words in effect in our lives. And if you and I can understand the depth of what they mean, suddenly they push our lives in completely different directions. I'm sitting uh, with a friend of mine just a while back. He's been married to the same woman for 40 plus years. Recently, she's had health issues. She's gone completely blind. And so he had to begin to lead her around the house and do all of the things in the house that she would normally have done. About six years ago, she started having liver failure, and so he had to take her to dialysis uh, twice a week and sit and wait for that to happen and then take her home. He had to take care of her in a way very much like a nursing home and do things for her that none of us would ever want to have to do. She passed away recently. And I remember thinking to myself, that, that's got to be a relief for my friend. I mean, these last six or seven years have just been tough. And so as I sat there with my friend, he wept. And here's what he said to me in that moment. I would give everything I own to spend one more day with my wife. And I thought to myself in that moment, wow, this man loved that woman. And in that moment, it occurred to me, you know what, maybe I need to recalibrate how I use that word love. Maybe I don't love pizza. And maybe I don't love sports cars. Because maybe love means something way, way, way more profound than that. And that's really what Big Words is about. That when you and I go back to some Bible words that chances are you and I've heard a hundred times in our life and we thought, oh no, I know, I understand, I get it. But if you and I took a fresh look and if you and I delved into the depths of what that word really means, you and I would become to a completely different place and that new place would push our lives in completely new directions. Hence, big words. And so we're just doing that together. Today we're going to talk about uh, this topic of repentance And just what does it mean? What does it mean to be going one way in my life and to so dramatically adjust, to so get to a point that I say, I'm just done with that. I'm done with doing this, that we turn and head a completely opposite direction, that we completely repent of what we had been doing and go to a completely new place in our walk with God. And you and I, as we examine this word, may just find that repentance changes us. So grab your Bibles real quick. Go with me to Luke chapter 19. If you're not familiar, if you go to the back of your Bible and work to the left, uh, you're going to find this passage. Chances are tons of us in this room, you've heard this story, especially if you've grown up in church. There's even a chance that you've sung songs about this story. And yet, I don't know if, as we've read it or gone over it in the past, that we realized how profoundly this story talks about this idea of repentance in our lives. So again, it's Luke chapter 19, uh, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. And you guys ever sung the song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Anybody? Okay, I am really old. That's all I can say. All right. So a man by the name of Zacchaeus, he was the chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, and he climbed up into a sycamore fig tree, To see him, since Jesus was going to be coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, so he knew him by name. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must, I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now, get the moment. So the Bible tells us Zacchaeus is an incredibly wealthy man. He's a wealthy man because he's the chief tax collector for the area. Now, you need to understand how that works. As the Romans would go to collect taxes, they would appoint a chief tax collector, and the chief tax collector would be someone who lived in the area. So Zacchaeus is actually a Jew, and yet he's collecting taxes for the hated Romans. And the way the system worked was simply this. They would say to the tax collector, hey, we're imposing a 15% tax. You can charge whatever you want to charge. Anything you get beyond the 15%, we don't care as long as you can get it. So now here's Zacchaeus. The Romans have told him that he needs to collect 15%. He now slaps on whatever his fee, let's say it's another 10%, and so now he's sending out his tax collectors to collect the 25% tax, but he says to them, I don't care what you take in taxes as long as you bring me back the 25%. And so now his agents, as they go out to collect taxes, slap maybe their new 10% on. Which is why he's so wealthy, and it's also why he is absolutely so hated within the community. Because he has sided himself with the Romans, and he is extorting money from the people. And yet, in the midst of that, there's kind of a love-hate relationship. Because, since he's so wealthy, he owns significant portions of the town. If you're going to own a shop, you probably have to rent from Zacchaeus. You want Zacchaeus buying your pomegranates. And so, although you hate the man, you've got to deal with the man and show him some monicum of respect, because chances are he's the wealthiest man anywhere around. And then comes the day. This Jesus guy is coming to speak there in their village. And Zacchaeus thinks to himself, I probably ought to check this guy out, because here's the interesting thing. I've spent my entire life trying to build up esteem. I've spent my entire life trying to have some level of achievement so that people would respect me. Remember Zacchaeus is the wee little man. Remember, he's tiny. He was the kid that was always picked last for kickball. He was the kid that all the other kids called peanut at school. And he spent his entire life trying to overcome his insecurities by having achievement. And yet there's this guy coming to town. Who seems to be absolutely beloved. He is attracting crowds. People just think so highly of him. And it becomes a curiosity moment for Zacchaeus to go, I gotta go see what this guy's got. He pulls up uh, to where Jesus is preaching uh, in his Hummerling camel. You'll get that later. That, you'll be on your way home. You go, that was really good. Hummering camel. Uh, he gets out and, uh, he's wearing his designer platform sandals. And he heads toward where Jesus is speaking, but he can't get there. Because unlike other times when people would show him a monicum of respect and step aside and let him go through, they are so impressed, they're so enthralled with this Jesus character that they're all huddled up tight and Zacchaeus can't get through the crowd. So he thinks to himself, I know what I'll do. I'll crawl up in a tree. He has to walk down this pathway. And I'll get a look at this guy. And so there he is, Zacchaeus, uh, this wealthy man doing something that feels a little bit juvenile. He's crawled himself up into a tree so he can get a peek at this Jesus character. And when Jesus finally walks by, you've got to imagine that Zacchaeus is just shocked. This Jesus is nothing like what he expected. He's poor. He's he's wearing Poor people's clothes. He doesn't have some huge resume of accomplishment and achievement. And yet people are absolutely drawn through and enthralled with him. And in the midst of trying to figure that out, Jesus walks below the tree, turns up and says, Zacchaeus, I have to have lunch with you today. You ever wonder about that? Why is Jesus so committed to the idea of having lunch with this guy here's what I think I think it's because that day that day is the first day that Zacchaeus was actually ready for the conversation As That Zacchaeus sits there and looks and says what does this man to have that I don't have how has he gotten so much more admiration so much more veneration for people than I have with all of my success maybe that morning as he was getting ready to hop on his camel, he thought to himself, how much more money do I need to be happy? Uh, What else do I have to accomplish or buy for this ache in my heart to be done? But the answer is simply this. This was the first moment in Zacchaeus's life when the conversation was going to make sense. And so Jesus said, I have to keep that appointment today. It's interesting because some of us have Zacchaeus' story. Some of us grew up in church and we heard we heard Jesus' stories and Bible stuff all of our life. Uh, we used to go to Grandma's house and she'd hand us little Bible bookmarkers to put in our Bible and, and Jesus' cookies to eat and we're like, Grandma, come on. And it never clicked. It never quite made sense. And then one day a friend invited us to camp and... The camp speaker was talking and it just made sense in that moment. For some of us, we, we lived our lives, we we were so positive, we didn't need any sort of relationship with God and it was just a crutch for people who didn't know how to stand on their own two feet. And then life began to go a little bit sideways and we were struggling to figure out which way was up. And in that moment, a co-worker simply invited us to a cup of coffee and just began to once again tell the story of Jesus. And for some reason, that time, it clicked. And in the life of Zacchaeus, that lunch that he has with Jesus changes his entire life. It suddenly makes sense. Everything that he's been living for isn't important anymore. And in this moment, he turns to say, I'm going to live a completely different life from here on. Matter of fact, grab your Bibles again. It's verse 8. Watch what Zacchaeus does. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now. I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Guys, think about the wealth this guy has. That he can literally give half of what he owns to the poor. That he can go back to every person and every penny that he's ever extorted and repay that fourfold. And in this moment, Zacchaeus just says, look, look, I was living for this. See, I, here was the, I worshipped, I worshipped what I could buy. I worshipped the status of being wealthy. I committed my whole life to say, I don't care if I have to extort my friends. I don't care what I have to do. I'm simply going to acquire. And guys, you say, like, there's nothing wrong with wealth and there's nothing wrong with having money. It's when I begin to worship it. That it's a problem. And Zacchaeus would say to you and me today, money became my God. And the most logical thing when I finally found Jesus was to turn my back and say, look, 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 I am no longer going to serve that. I'm no longer going to worship that. I'm going to head in exactly the opposite direction from where I've been heading. And Zacchaeus becomes this amazing example that repentance is about a 180-degree turn. It's about saying, hey, this is what I was doing, this is where I was going, and I am turning completely away and heading in an exactly opposite direction from where I've been going in my life. Isn't it true... Isn't it true that that 180 degree turn is hard for us? That really often that what happens with you and me is that, that we look and we go, no, no, I, I get it. I get, I get that that's broken and I get that that's dark and, and I get that that's sinful. But here's, look, here, here's just what I got to say. If I'm honest, there's some enjoyment there for me. I, there, there's some fun there. And I actually take some of my identity from this. See, I mean, I've just lived my whole life being the bad boy or being the bad girl or being the partier. And I'm just telling you, if if I actually turned and became the good boy, became the good girl or the one who didn't go to... People wouldn't even know who I was. I wouldn't know who I was if I did that. And so what we attempt to do in moments of repentance is just to turn away partially... To say, look, look, look! I, I, I get it. I get it. I get that that's death. So I'll turn away so that I'm doing less death. Hey, no, no, no! I get that. That I get that. That is absolutely screwed up. So I'll turn away so that I am less screwed up. Guys, you realize that's crazy. If if this is death and you try to manage repentance, manage sin in your life for less death, it is still death. If, if you're trying to manage screwed up to less screwed up, you're still screwed up. This is an absolutely untenable response to sin. Let me see if this helps. How many of you recognize the logo? How many of you spent seven dollars on your way here for one of these? Okay, so so let's say let's say I said to you today, hey look look look, on the house on the house, I've got a Starbucks for you. How how many people would be mildly interested? Okay, good, all right. But I say to you before I give you the Starbucks, I've got to put in my secret sauce. And so I pour in a few ounces of antifreeze. How many people are interested? Okay, because, because you'd go, Lynn, that's ridiculous. That's poison. That's poison. And I say, okay, 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 I get it. I get it. So let's manage it. How about, how about if we do a little less? Any takers? Because... Because less poison is still poison. And it, guys, ready for this? It's the reason that partial repentance still isn't repentance. Because less death is still death. Less screwed up is still screwed up. And there's no such thing as managing sin, and there's no such thing as partial repentance. Matter of fact, grab your Bibles real quick. And go with me to 2 Corinthians. If you left your Bibles open, it's going to be just to the right. If you closed your Bibles, you're going to have to go back, all the way to the back and start to the left. If you've got an iPhone, then you're just typing it in. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Here's what it says about repentance. Godly sorrow. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow. I'm going to partially turn. I'm sorry I got caught. I'm going to try to manage my sin. Worldly sorrow. Partial repentance. Worldly sorrow brings death because managed death is still death and managed poison is still poison. It's why it is so powerful that in this moment, Zacchaeus says, I am so done with my past and I am completely committed to my future. Repentance, a 180 degree turn. This begins, this begins when you and I, for the first time, start seeing sin for what sin is. That you and I would say, look, I get it. I get how dark and broken this is in the light of a completely holy God. I get that in order for God to remedy this in my life, it was crazy, crazy expensive. I've got a dear friend, and when he was a kid, he played baseball all the time. His dad was a big baseball nut, would coach almost all of his little league teams, and they would go to AAA ball games because they were cheap, and uh, they would buy tickets right along the third baseline, right where all the foul balls would come. And my friend would say to me, hey, Lynn, it was just one of the best moments of my entire life to be there with dad. But here's the deal. Games are nine innings long. And I was a kid. And so I'd get distracted and I'd start watching other things. And I'd start throwing popcorn down on the field. And I'd turn to see the pretty girl across the aisle. I, I just It was nine innings long. And he said, you know, my dad would say to me, hey, look, 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 you've got to watch the game because the very nature of the game is that suddenly something happens that just changes the entire complexion of the game. And if you're distracted, if you're looking somewhere else, you're not going to see that moment. And I would try to watch for a little while, but because I was a kid, then I'd begin to piddle and do other things. And he said, and then there was one night. I'm sitting there, I'm looking off to the side, and all of a sudden I hear, what.'" And as I begin to turn out of the corner of my eye, I see a line drive headed straight for my head. He said, I began to duck down, and then I heard, and I looked up to see that my dad had stuck out his bare hand and caught the line drive just inches from my face. He said, I sat down and my dad said, see what it means to be distracted? <laughs> and then I noticed my dad beginning to rub his hand, and I realized he had busted multiple bones in the back of his hand. But my dad sticking out his hand to catch my line drive had cost him. And it occurred to me, if I stay distracted, my dad's going to have to stick his hand out over and over again. And it'll be pain over and over again. You get that's the cross. That when you and I look at sin and we go, Ah, I'm going to manage it and it's not that big a deal and it's okay. You realize that 2,000 years ago, Jesus stuck out his hand and took your line drive and it cost. And that if you and I stay in our sin, if you and I stay only halfway turned, Jesus is going to have to stick his hand out over and over again. And that every time you and I live reckless, distracted lives, we simply add to the pain of the cross. Back to the passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Godly sorrow. Realizing the darkness of what it is. And the cost that it took to pay for it. Godly sorrow brings real repentance. 180 degree repentance. That leads to salvation and leaves no regret. You, you want to hear the coolest part of the story today? That there's something that happens when you and I see this for what it is and the darkness of what it is. And we just say, I'm done with that. I'm not going to try to manage that. I'm, I'm ready to just turn my life like Zacchaeus and just head completely the other direction. That once we turn this way, you realize this becomes about thankfulness. That all of a sudden in this moment, we just look and we say, Jesus, look, for you to have done that for me... I don't care. I don't care what I have to sacrifice. I don't care what it costs me. I, I, don't, I don't care. I don't care how many friends I I don't care. I am so thankful for what you've done. I will follow you for the rest of my life. You guys have all heard my Pastor George stories. And Pastor George was a guy who took a young preacher boy under his wings and when he did that he had like 20 plus years of ministry experience he had no reason to invest in me and yet this man would spend hours helping me understand ministry, walking me through ministry pointing out potholes in my way and helping me avoid them he gave me 20 plus years of experience simply by speaking it into my life and guys I'm just telling you because of the wonder of that man investing in me, I've done things in my life. I've done things that Pastor George never had the chance to do because he invested in me. And I will tell you that when I go and spend time with my friend, I don't spend time talking about all the great stuff going on here. And I don't talk about the crowds and everything that's happening. When I spend time with Pastor George, I'm that intern all over again. I sit at his feet in absolute humility. And I make sure that somehow in that conversation three or four times, I say to him, thank you. If I could say thank you to you, George, every day of my life, for the rest of my life, I would not say thank you enough for what you've done for me. got anybody like that in your life, you would just say, look, what you've done, I I could never express to you enough what you've done on behalf of me. And you realize that's how we're supposed to feel about Jesus. That you and I, all of us who have discovered Christ would say, I'm so done with that. And I'm just, I'm just turning completely away. And I'm just telling you, I am so thankful for a Savior. And I'm so thankful for my Lord. I'm so thankful that you stuck your hand out and took the line drive for me. And I'm just telling you, if I served you every day the rest of my life, I don't care what I have to sacrifice. I don't care what I have to lose. I don't care who laughs. I don't care because I am so thankful. I'll follow you. So here's the question. Have you turned? have Have you turned from that which enslaved and brought death? Or are you only partially there? Are you managing death? Are you managing poison? And what would it mean today? What would it take today for you to finish the turn and fall? Let's pray. Hey dear Lord Jesus, we we simply come to a big word called repentance. That's all about a hundred and eighty degree difference in our lives. It's all about acknowledging that sin is dark and that sin is poisonous and sin is death, and just saying, I'm done. I am completely, I'm not gonna manage my sin. I'm going to turn from my sin 180 degrees and in absolute thankfulness to a Savior, I'm going to follow Him every moment of my life. And God, I just pray, I pray for every person in this room who hasn't finished the turn, for every person who's trying to manage their sin, that today would be the day. Today would be the day they'd finish the 180 degrees. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.